Okay, I'm just going to read the passage for us first and then we'll get started. Okay, so uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we start. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words and we thank you for this time now to hear from it. I pray that you'd be with me as give me the words to speak um, and that you'd be with each of us to hear what you have to say, that we might be encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well today we are going to think about Christmas and obviously Christmas is going to be a bit different this year. But I think it actually gives us an opportunity to think about what Christmas is and what it is actually all about. And I started thinking a bit more in depth about what Christmas is uh, last week when I was preparing for the carol service. I just couldn't help but feel it's just all a bit odd, the Christmas story. Um, you were singing all these carols of um, you glory in the highest to this newborn king and um, yeah, the, all the angels worshipping him and then he's born in this manger to this single mother in Bethlehem well, it just there's such a disconnect between those two things, like glory in the highest but born in a manger, not really like a king um, I was kind of struggling to kind of make sense of that to be honest and then I think even as you read the, the gospel stories in Luke and Matthew, in, in honestly, sometimes it just feels like a bit of an add-on, just like a just a bit of like an introduction until we get into like the real the real stuff um, later on. Um, 
I don't know if that's because the nativity story is just like so familiar in our culture. We're just so used to it that we kind of struggle to connect it to to the gospel, perhaps. But um, but this is what we wanted to to look at today. Is you know, basically what on earth is going on in in this Christmas story? Uh, why was Christ born in this way? And what does this teach us about who he was? And most of all, why was it necessary for him to be born? in this way. So to answer those questions, we're going to be looking at uh, the second chapter of Hebrews. Um, and uh, I'm aware it, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated passage, um, but um, and it's in, in the middle of a book that we haven't been studying. So I just wanted to take a moment to just explain what Hebrews is all about and where we are in this passage today in Hebrews. So uh, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, some people think it might be in the Apostle Paul. Others would say other people. But um, uh, but, but the message of Hebrews is it's all about Jesus and all about how he is is so great. He he's greater than than the prophets in the Old Testament. He's he's greater than the angels. He, he's greater than Moses and the priests. In fact, he is the great high priest. This is really the, the message of Hebrews. Um, so it starts with the, the beginning, as I said, about the comparison of prophets and angels. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses from the very beginning of Hebrews to kind of set the scene, basically. Um, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the beginning of Hebrews and you get a flavour for what it's all about, how, just looking at how wonderful and excellent Christ is. Um, the, rest of, the rest of chapter one looks, this picks up a few verses from the Old Testament, com- looking at some verses describing Jesus, some verses describing angels to highlight how Jesus is better and higher than the angels. That's, that's chapter one. Just the introduction to chapter two, immediately before our passage today, it's just a brief kind of side note, a little exhortation to say, look, because, because the gospel has been proclaimed through this Christ, it's reliable, we, we, you know, we should pay attention to it. There's no other way that we'll be saved. But then we're back into the, the main theme. So in Hebrews 2, verse 5, uh, it, it's back into talk about Jesus, Jesus and the angels and flows right off the back of, of chapter 1. So I just want to start just by looking at those first few verses of, of Hebrews 2, verses 5 to 9. I'm just going to read it now again. So now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. But hang on a second, because we've just been saying that in chapter 1, is all about Jesus being higher than the angels. Chapter 1, verse 6, the quotation is, let all God's angels worship him. In verse 7, it says, you've made him a little while, for a little while, lower than the angels. And again in verse 9, the same thing. Now, that being made lower than the angels obviously refers to Christ being made as a man and ultimately in his, in his death. But um, as I was preparing this and, and, and trying to figure this all out, I, I just wasn't qu- quite sure. It didn't quite make sense to me. So I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Um, and I could see that, you know, obviously in those verses 6 to 8 is, is a quotation from somewhere. And that quotation is from Psalm 8. So in the hope of shedding some light on the situation, I went there. But rather than getting a quick answer, actually, things got a bit more interesting. So let me read Psalm 8 and uh, pay attention to the, anything you might notice in comparison to Hebrews 2. So Psalm 8 says this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So in Psalm 8, it's clearly talking about man here as in humanity. Um, If we hadn't just read Hebrews 2, I don't think anybody would have thought that Psalm 8 was about Christ. Now, yes, there is that title, um, there's that title there about um, uh, Son of of Man, which we know is a title that Daniel uses to refer to Christ, and and in the New Testament, Christ uses the Son of Man to refer to himself a lot. But I think it, the basic plain reading of the text, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought about it. But looking closely, we can see a few slight differences in the text. So I've just got them on this slide here, and you might need to cut back to the, um, if the video is not on it. Um, if we look in Psalm 8, it says, it starts with the word yet, and then it goes on to then say, you have made them little lower than the angels. So it's kind of like the, the assumption is that mankind is kind of low, but yet God has made mankind a little lower than the angels. It's like a promotion up to this little lower than the angels. Man is low, God makes them high, just a little lower than the angels. In Hebrews 2, you get the same starting point, but there's no yet, 
and um, it kind of sort of runs through a bit more. It's like a semicolon. It just says that a little while lower than the angels, then into the you've crowned him with glory and strength. So it's kind of a bit more the other way around. It seems like the glory is there's this little blip where he's made a little lower than the angels and the other way around. Um, the, the question really is, what is this little lower than the angels? Is it a promotion or a relegation? I suppose what I mean is, um, we, we, uh, we've got quite into Formula One recently. And um, if anyone would know, Lewis Hamilton has been utterly dominant in Formula One for the last seven years. And if he doesn't win a race, it is essentially a failure. So for Lewis Hamilton to get second place in a Grand Prix, that is essentially like a relegation. That is a, that's not a good day for him. But for essentially any other driver, apart from Max or Valtteri, but you know, they, anyone else would be absolutely over the moon to come second place, to be on that podium, the champagne. So for, for most people to be a little lower than the angels, for mankind to be a little lower than the angels, it, it's, it's a massive promotion, it's amazing. For Christ to be made a little lower than the angels is, is, a, is a relegation. Um, so that's, that's the kind of comparison that we are uh, dealing with and trying to get our heads around. Before we get any further, I just want to take a brief moment to just discuss about the translations that we're reading here. Because obviously we're looking very detailed at the, these very tricky little words, yet or not a yet. Um, we're reading the English translations of, these, uh, of, the, uh, of the Bible here. Uh, it's the English Standard Version, it's a very reliable version, but we do need to be careful with some of these very small words, not to put too much meaning on just these little words. Um, now, you know, I'm no Greek or Hebrew expert. Um, I mean, I'm not even a non-expert. Um, but from, from reading others who, um, who know more about these things, it does seem like there's, there's genuine differences in, in the text here uh, that we're seeing. So it raises the question of what's going on. Has the author of Hebrews, has he, has he made a mistake? Has he misquoted this psalm here? Interesting, it's not not the only example in the New Testament of a slight change in the quotation from the Old. Now, sometimes these slight uh, changes may be due to a theological point being made. So the New Testament writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in their wisdom and insight that they have, could be making a, a theological point. And that is, that is very useful. And I think that's part of what's going on here, which we'll come on to. But the, other, but the other quick thing to say is that um, uh, we need to look at the version that those writers had at that time. So obviously the Old Testament was written in Hebrews, in Hebrew, sorry. Um, most people in ancient Roman Greek, when the New Testament, someone might have to shut that window at some point or um, open it. So most people in Greece and in Rome did not know Hebrew. So some people had translated the Hebrew um, Old Testament into Greek. Uh, the word for that is the Septuagint translation. And interestingly, many of the New Testament writers and people around that time were very familiar with that version. And lots of the quotations in Hebrews here actually bear more resemblance to that translation. Um, so that explains some of the slight differences that we have. 
before we get back to our main point this morning, I just want to say one final thing. I don't want any of these issues to cause anyone to lose any faith in the reliability of our English translation or in the Bible as a whole. The fantastic news is that there's not any key Christian doctrine or teaching or message that is reliant on just one of these small, slight uncertainties. Actually, the whole message of the Bible is cohesive and consistent. And if there's sometimes there's little doubts about tiny bits and various verses, um, but we can look to the rest of the Bible to understand that. But in this example, a plain reading of the original Psalm 8 does seem to refer to mankind, as talking about, whereas the author of Hebrews seems to be using that reading to refer to Christ. So, as I said, uh, I went digging to try and shed light on the matter. It didn't really help that much, but not one to learn lesson. Uh, dug a bit further, carried on getting through the passage, which we'll do now. And the interesting thing that I discovered was this, that those two readings of Psalm 8 actually lie much closer together and fit together in a very intriguing and beautiful way. And to understand how that happens, we're going to carry on through the rest of Hebrews 2 to understand the logic of the passage here. As you read 9 to 18... Um, you can see it back to full screen if you want. Um, uh, as you read 9 to 18, there's lots of little words like for and therefore, since and so that. He's making lots of kind of logical arguments. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to explain something. What he's really trying to say is this, that this is what Jesus has done and this is what the result of that was. And your main, main argument goes something like this with these four points. First, that Jesus was made like us. The second is that Jesus suffered and died. Third, that this was for our salvation. And fourth, finally, to bring many sons to glory. So Jesus was made like us. Jesus suffered and died for our salvation to bring many sons to glory. And what I want to do is just begin by just pulling out the verses which fit into these four kind of categories, and then we'll explore more of the meaning of these each four phases. So starting with Jesus made like us, this is, this is the Christmas, the Christmas message. Verse 7 to 9, for a little while he was made lower than the angels, we've spoken about that already. Verses 12 to 13, we are, we are his brothers. Um, Verse 14, share in, just as we share in flesh and blood, so Christ partook of the same things. Uh, partook, slightly funny words, kind of means like the inverse of the take part, but a bit more than that. Really, like, to really be the same as, to really take on that, that flesh and blood. He really was made like us. In fact, verse 17, he was made like his brothers in every respect. So Jesus made like us. Next, Jesus suffered and died. We see in verse 9 that he tasted death. Verse 10, he was made perfect through suffering. Verse 14, again, through death. But this was for our salvation. So in verse 9, he tasted death for everyone. Verse 10, he was the founder of our salvation. Verse 11, he sanctifies us. 14, 15, he destroys the devil. 
delivering us from lifelong slavery, you know, salvation language. 16, he helps the offspring of Abraham. Uh, unless you're an ethnic Jew, you're not an offspring of Abraham, but uh, we know that we've been engrafted into the people of Israel, so that applies to us as well. And verse 17, uh, he became a merciful and faithful high priest, making propitiation for the sins of the people. So again, another long words, propitiation. It just means to take away wrath, to take away the penalty. So the people sin. This leads to God's wrath against them, but Christ takes away the wrath against them instead of us. And then lastly, verse 18, he helps, he helps us who are being tempted. So Jesus made like us, suffered and died for our salvation, and finally to bring many sons to glory. Verse 9, Jesus was crowned with glory and honour. And then verse 10, also so were we. It's fitting that God, in bringing many sons to glory, would then make Christ also perfect who's suffering. So we've seen some of the flow of the text, and I want to just get into those four main points to understand a bit more about what's going on here. So Jesus was made like us. So this is the, 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 this, is, this is the Christmas question. Um, and it's that cr- tricky question which the church has kind of grappled with down the ages of, how can Jesus be both God and man at the same time? And I think it's easy to answer that on either one side or the other. So I think, you know, as you look through the story of his life and death, it, Jesus as baby is more like man. But when Jesus was healing the sick, that's, that's more like a God thing. Uh, but when Jesus was being crucified and crying out why have you forsaken me that's more kind of man but then Jesus resurrection more God so you kind of you can kind of seesaw between that's what it might be easy to do but the reality is not what we're seeing here in this passage it says Jesus had to be made like us in every respect he partook in our flesh and blood in fact, in later in Hebrews in 4.15, is it, it was made like... The only, sorry, the only way in which he was different from us, Hebrews 4, is that he was without sin. So he was, he was like us in every way. But um, if you remember, as I was reading in, in Hebrews 1, um, if I can now find it, um, yes, it says also that... Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus both man, fully man and fully God. Uh, we can see this elsewhere, John 1, another classic Christmas reading. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and was God. So Jesus was God in the beginning. And later in verse 14, he took on flesh, he became flesh and dwelt among us. God taking on flesh. Seen even more so in Philippians 2. He took on the form of a servant, being uh, born in the likeness of man. We have the eternal trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal God, and that God the Son at that first Christmas took on human flesh, taking into union the human nature that he was and still is fully God and fully man. And it was that God's man, 
Jesus who suffered and died for us. Uh, he's made like us and he suffered and died. Now we're familiar with the Easter story of his um, betrayal, death and later resurrection. And we'll come back to that more in a moment. But moving on to that third point for our salvation. Why, why was it necessary for those things to be the case? Why did he have to be made like us? Why did he have to suffer and die for our salvation? Because that's what it says in verse 17. It said he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. But why is that the case? The answer comes as we understand what a priest is and how propitiation works. So priests act as representatives. So later in Hebrews 5, 1, we read this, um, just says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So a priest is somebody that represents people to God. Just as we have our MP who represents us to Parliament um, in a better way, we have a high priest, a priest who represents us to God. We can't immediately approach him, he's too holy, we need uh, someone to represent us. So the priest has to be chosen from among mankind um, and acts on behalf of mankind. But the priest also offers sacrifices as well. So what is a sacrifice? So a sacrifice is just something that takes the place of something else. So because of our sin and guilt, you know, the fact that we've turned away from God and been born into the line of Adam, inherited his, uh, his guilt, our destiny is not glory, but in death. To, to modern ears, it sounds dramatic and, and outdated, but we can't pretend that we're good people. Uh, deep down, we know that we are not. And we have a holy God who doesn't just turn a blind eye to this. He, he is just. But incredibly, he goes out of his way to make a way for us to come back to him. So our sin and guilt deserves for a penalty to be paid for that. And normally that would be in our death. But the alternative is that somebody else dies in our place instead. Now, in the Old Testament, you have the sacrificial system. The priest, he takes the lamb, he places his hand on the lamb, symbolically transferring the guilt and sin of the people onto that lamb, which is then killed instead of the people who go free. But there are a few problems with that system. The priest doing that, he himself was sinful as well, so he couldn't just represent the people, he was also having to represent himself. The lamb can't really take away the sin of the people. Um, it's not a human, it's, it's a lamb, it's different. It doesn't really work. And, and because of this, it had to be offered every single day, these sacrifices. Um, so the system just wasn't working. Instead, we needed a perfect sacrifice and a perfect priest. 
So we said that lambs aren't able to take our place as a sacrifice, so we need a human being to take our place as a sacrifice. But that human would need to be perfect. You see, you can't take someone else's uh, you can't take someone else's penalty if you also sort of owe the same penalty. Um, I think it's a bit like um, does anyone, I don't know if anyone knows about the, the Chris Hune um, driving license scandal. So if you're when you are um, as MP who uh, was near his maximum points on his license and he was caught speeding and if he took the points on his name he would have lost his license. So he asked his wife at the time to take the points instead. Didn't end very well and um, obviously uh, completely illegal so I wouldn't recommend it. But um, uh, so she, she took the points onto her license instead. But if she didn't have a license herself she wouldn't have been able to take the points and it's sort of like um, what, what we're saying is that you can't, you can't take the penalty if you don't, aren't able to pay it to yourself, and, um, or if, you, if that penalty also falls on you as well. Um, no other human, I can't die instead of any of you, because I also have the curse of death over me as well. So we need a perfect human being to be our sacrifice instead of us. It's basically like we need someone who is made like us in every way, yet without sin. And in verse chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Who is this? Of course, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to tie this all together, we just have one last quotation from Hebrews 7, which I just want to read um, to emphasise this. So in Hebrews 7, it says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, Christ is that perfect sacrifice and that perfect high priest for us. He represents us to the Lord. And he, as that perfect human being, has died in our place. This is why it was necessary for Jesus to be made like us and for him to suffer and die. But it wasn't only for our salvation. It was also that we, that many sons be brought to glory as well. See in verse 9 of Hebrews 2 how Christ is glorified through his death and resurrection. We see that also in Philippians 2 as well. Um, 
as having been brought low, is then given the name above every names. But it's not just that Christ is glorified, is it? Because in verse 10, we see that many sons are brought to glory. And it's, it's that parallel of both the, this, of that Psalm 8, in both sides of the coin, uh, both Christ and mankind are both crowned with glory and honour. And what does it mean for us to be crowned with glory and honour? Is it just that we rule over nature? Well, yes, but there's much more than that. Ultimately, our glory is in our salvation, being made one with Christ, having his Father as our Father, being, being sanctified, made holy. And this is the, the incredible thing about this passage, is that the very thing that leads to our promotion to being made a little lower than the angels, that process only happens through Christ being relegated to being a little lower than the angels. You can see how fitting it was that God, in bringing many of us to glory through the death and resurrection of his son, should thus also make his son perfect through that suffering. So you see, it's in bringing us into glory through the death and resurrection of the son that Jesus himself is glorified most magnificently. Put another way, Christ is made lower than the angels so that we can be made lower than the angels. He is relegated as we, in order that we might be promoted and we are all glorified in that process. And that is why Christmas is necessary. He was made like us to save us. Now this Christmas feels very different from normal. Um, I think in, in society, obviously, obviously there's a very different understanding of, of Christmas. It's all about family and gifts and tradition. And I think many of those things are, are really good. And um, although there's, there's bad sides to all of those as well. You know, like with family, uh, some people that's, that's really hard, perhaps uh, mourning loved ones who died this year or, um, or broken, broken relationships. Christmas is not an easy time, perhaps. Gifts, gifts are great things to, to give to people, but uh, we see that over-commercialisation and materialism of, of Christmas. And the tradition, great to be reminded of these things, but I think Christmas especially, the, the meaning can just get lost so, so quickly, it seems. And then that's, that's Christmas normally. And then this Christmas, in the middle of the pandemic, the economic crises, the social division, uh, waking up in tier four this morning, um, it's, it's just not much of a merry Christmas this year. Um, to be honest, uh, the last few weeks, personally, I've just been feeling very miserable about just just the world that we we find ourselves in at this time. But 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 for the Christian, Christmas is also a time to rejoice as well. And and in honesty, it is only on reflecting on, on these truths as I've been preparing this sermon, it's only from reflecting on these truths that I can find anything good about, about this time. You know, I don't, I don't get to see my, my family uh, this year, uh, but, 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 
but I'm reminded in a, in a powerful time of of the gift of Christ who's been given to us. He he relegated himself to give himself that I might have him as my brother to have his father as my father, um, and that that's actually a wonderful wonderful gift and and if you if you don't know jesus for yourself if you don't have that gift for yourself please this christmas pay attention to these things and look into them to to understand that the lord god is giving you his son this christmas time and that's the best gift that you could have there really is much that we should be rightly sad about at this time um but with this wonderful gift of Christ that we're reminded of this Christmas time, there's much cause for great joy as well. And you see, it is without Christmas, if there was no Christmas, there would be no Jesus being made like us, be no Jesus suffering and dying, no salvation, no raising of many sons to glory. So this Christmas time, rejoice that Christ has been made like us to save us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is such a difficult time for so many. And we, in a way, um, are grateful that we have this, uh, this, this time of, of hope and, and celebration in the in this tradition of Christmas celebrating Christ come to earth, relegating himself for us. Uh, we're so grateful for that message of hope and life, for our salvation, to be raised to glory, to be with you. We're so grateful. Help us to, to fix our eyes on him, to rejoice in him this Christmas time amidst all the darkness of this world. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.